Well, hello, beautiful. Hello there. Hello. My name's Forrest. Forrest Gump. Hello, John. Hello, John. Hello, John. <laughs> hello. Hello, John. Welcome to the party, pal. Hello! My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Oh, hi, Mark. Hello, Neo. Do you know who this is? Hello, Poppy. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to another episode of Be Kind, Please Rewind, a 90s movie podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Kevin. And we're back! Finally back. It's only been a month and a half since we haven't been able to physically be in the same room. Oh, my God. This is, this is terrible. I do not like this corona thing. What is this corona thing? I haven't heard of it. Oh, well, you will. You will. <laughs> but I cannot wait till this corona thing is over. I feel like the vaccine's out now, and... Like there's a light at the end of the tunnel, so. Well, being a teacher, I am in the 1B category, so I get to get vaccinated on Wednesday, and I am looking forward to it. Funny thing about that is that I'm going to steal your ID and chloroform you and go get the vaccine in your stead. That's not funny. That's <laughs> funny for me. <laughs> Anyhow, moving on to something movie related, we watched some of those things this week, month. This month. It's been like a month and a half since I've watched a movie for the podcast, so. I was very excited to get back into it here. It felt good to have like tasks to do that were movie related. Although one of these movies was a chore. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's a proper way to describe to it. To say it the least. I, I, can. I, I can't wait to shit all over it, honestly. Oh, it's going to be fun. All right, let's get right into it. Let's do it. We have 16 titles this month and coming in at number 16 is a movie called Eating, a comedy about a group of young and middle-aged women that gather for a birthday party of a friend and talk about their lives and food they cook for their husbands, boyfriends, or themselves. And that's the Ow. end of that. <laughs> it grossed $440,000. I killed it in the box office. Go ahead. All right, coming in at 15, Waiting for the Light. This is a comedy that earned $800,000. A former magician, played by Shirley MacLaine, moves her straight-laced niece and her two mischievous children into a small town. When the two kids get into trouble with a neighbor for stealing vegetables from his garden, the ant concocts an illusion of ghosts and revenge. The town then be begins to believe that these ghosts actually exist. And that's the end of that. Out. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, though, I, like, I think it could be a pretty good comedy. I just You just got to get the right people in there. Coming in at number 14, Hidden Agenda, which is a thriller grossed about a million dollars when an American human rights lawyer is assassinated in Belfast. It remains for the man's girlfriend, as well as a tough, no-nonsense police detective to find the truth. This is with Francis McDormand, and I've never seen it or heard of it, so here we are. Moving on? Yes. <laughs> All right, coming in at 13, The Craze. This is a crime drama biography about the story of twin brother crime lords from London in the 1960s. You Sounds know familiar, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, uh, the movie, hold on, stop. The movie with... Um, Oh, give me his name because I'm drawing Tom the Hardy. Yes. He did a great job. What was the name of the one that he did? Legend. That movie is amazing. If you haven't seen that, I've seen it twice. That's a great movie. Yeah. And as soon as I started reading, as soon as I saw The Craze, I actually started thinking, wait, is this The Craze, The Brothers? Yeah. Like, is this the, it? And, yeah. then I was, and then I looked into it and yeah. They, um, they, it was their own version though. So this one was more of a biography and I think that one was more fictionalized. Yeah, maybe. 
But I, I, having never seen The Craze, I'm going to talk out of turn here and say, if you're going to watch a movie about those brothers, you should definitely watch Legend because Tom Hardy was amazing. In well, it. Tom Hardy is amazing. And, so. and he played both brothers. They were twin brothers and he played them yeah. both. He did a great job. Well, this, this movie, uh, The Craze, was two brothers actually played the craze but one was a is a guy who's involved in like sound editing and and um doing instrumentals for the movies and stuff yeah. and the other one's an actual actor mm. and i think they just brought them in because they they're, they're brothers and it worked out <laughs> yeah uh it only earned two million dollars though so can i tell you i forgot how much i love talking about movies <laughs> it's been so long <laughs> since we've done this i'm having a great time right now yes all right coming in at number 12 china cry a true story this is a biodrama Grossed $3.2 million. Uh, drama set in the 50s based on a true story about a young girl, Sung Neng Yi, who is brought as part of a wealthy Chinese family. She's eager to become part of Mao Zedong's new society, but soon becomes disenchanted by the economic misery the changes bring to her family. Before long, the authorities become aware of Neng Yi's feelings and she's taken to a labor camp overseen by the sadistic Colonel Chang. I have no idea what I just read, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound like something I'm watching. There's nobody soon. in it. It's it's a Asian cast and I believe Asian director. And not that that's a good or a bad thing. I've just never seen it before and I don't know any of those people, so I can't elaborate. All right. Coming in at number 11, Graffiti Bridge. This is a drama slash music movie directed by Prince. Oh, that's cool. This is the oh yeah. I know what the graffiti bridge is. Go ahead. It's the unofficial sequel to Purple Rain. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's pretty much all I got here. Uh, directed by Prince, starring Prince, and also Morris Day. Okay. Yeah. All right. Coming in at number ten. Did you say what it grossed? Uh four point five million dollars. Oh, I do have written here that basically this. So it's the unofficial sequel, I guess, because Prince kind of did this on his own. Okay, coming in at number 10, Mr. and Mrs. Bridge is a drama, gross $7.6 million. Set during World War II, an upper-class family begins to fall apart due to the conservative nature of the patriarch and progressive values of his children. Starring Paul Newman. Never seen it, never heard of it. I'm a Paul Newman fan, but... All right, moving on to number 9, Jacob's Ladder. So this is a movie. I'm going to watch this movie. I've heard of this movie. I've never seen this movie. But I hear great things. So I know, I have an idea what this movie's about, but I also, it's one of those movies I believe that you have to see to know what it's about. But Tim Robbins is, has like PTSD or something, and he's like a postal worker from what I understand, and he's seeing ghosts, but he's not sure if they're ghosts or whatever. Yeah, so, all right, so this is a drama horror mystery. Uh, it grows $25.9 million. So Tim Robbins plays... He plays a Vietnam War veteran who is mourning the death of his child. He attempts to uncover his past while suffering from a severe case of disassociation. Basically, he doesn't know what's real. Uh, yeah. He has all these visions and thoughts in his head. But yeah, and he's just trying to figure out what in his life is real and what in his life is a delusion. Directed by Adrian Lin, who also directed Flashdance, Indecent Proposal, and Fatal Attraction. Starring Tim Robbins. Uh, Elizabeth Pena, who was in Rush Hour. She plays the female cop. Uh, and Danny Aiello, Jason Alexander, and Ving Rhames. Is this the first time we brought up Danny Aiello? I think he came up in one other movie. Can I tell you my Danny Aiello story that I've told you personally a million times? Sure. The time that I was in a restaurant in East Hampton and physically bumped into a mass of a man while I was trying to get out the front door and the place was packed. 
And I looked up and it was Danny Aiello. And I said, hey, you're Danny Aiello. And then I walked out the door. <laughs> did he respond? No, I don't know if he did or didn't. I just left. Uh, you said your piece and ran. <laughs> that was it. I just wanted him to know that I knew who he was. He went home to his wife that night and said, I, I met a guy. <laughs> he knew me. He said a thing. <laughs> Coming in at number eight, Child's Play 2. This one has Jenny Agater in it. This yes. one is Andy's mother is admitted to a psychiatric hospital. Uh, the young boy is placed in foster care, and Chucky's back. Uh, really, the whole premise of this movie is haunting my childhood. Uh, that was the premise of this movie was to ruin like thirty consecutive nights' sleep for me as a child. This one got you. They all got me. Yeah, me too. As a kid, as a young kid, like five years old when this movie came out. Yeah, that's that's a tough watch with with the doll and the my buddy doll, and then the my buddy doll for some reason looked exactly like Chucky. I don't know which came first, but what I, do you mean Chucky was the my buddy doll? Is the, that what this was? Yeah, the my buddy doll was not a real thing. No, the my buddy doll was a real thing. Look it up. Really? Yes. I don't ever remember having access to it. Um, my friend had the my buddy doll. I remember sleeping over his house one night. Did they burn it? No. They didn't. Like, they, it's like they just pretended like it doesn't look exactly like Chucky. And I remember I was sleeping over his house and his mom put out a sleeping bag on his floor in his bedroom and I went to lay down. And there, staring across from me with just a little bit, the tiniest bit of light gleaming through the door across the doll's face was the My Buddy doll that looked just like Chucky. And I screamed. I screamed so loud. I swear I woke his neighbors. So then his mother comes running into the room thinking someone's being murdered, right? So she takes the doll and she moves it. I don't know where she moves it, but whatever. So it's like, whatever. But I was like seven years old at the time. I still can't sleep. Still can't sleep. I tell his mom, I can't sleep. I got to go home. She's like, you're not going home. You live like 45 minutes away. You're not going home. It's it's two in the morning, whatever it was. So I'm like, okay, well, I can't sleep in this room because he's in this room. So she's like, fine, go sleep in his sister's room. So she moves me to my friend's sister's room, forgetting that guess where she moved the doll. To, to the, the sister's, sister's room. room. Oh, <laughs> you thought it was following you? So now I'm laying down in the sister's room, and all of a sudden I see the doll again. And yes, exactly. I thought the thing was following me. I freaked out. End of story. My parents had to come pick me up. <laughs> That's great. Also, having looked it up while we were talking, uh, Chucky was a good guy doll, not a my buddy. My buddy was a real thing. So Told you, you so. You were right. Yes. I, I'm always right. I was the confused one and you were the right one. Anyway, yeah, the Child's Play series, just since we're here, they were, I remember the first three. I, I, I don't know what happened after the first three, but I remember the first three as far as like, like schlocky 80s, early 90s horror movies go. They were very good. The first one, especially. Yeah. Second one, the second one was the one, was that the one when he's in like school? He's like in that's mil- the third the, one. Preschool. The third one with the oh preschool. And no, it like follows military school. school. Military school is the third one. That's not what I was talking about. It, it basically like Chucky follows him in his book bag, and like he like he doesn't know Chucky's in his book bag. I remember and, that. Like, murders scene. the teacher with a pair of scissors or something. Yeah, I don't. They all meld together. So, <laughs> well, either way, I do enjoy those movies. All right, coming in at number seven. The Rescuers Down Under. Oh, sorry. Child's Play 2 grossed $26.9 million. Stop interrupting me. Yes, I'm terrible at that. (laughs) The Rescuers Down Under? An adventure cartoon. This is great. This is a Disney movie, and I remember loving this movie as a kid. Yeah, I remember The Rescuers and The Rescuers Down Under, so like it kind of mixed up my head. So now I'm realizing, though, after getting to this movie... When I thought Quigley Down Under was a sequel, I think it was because of the Rescuers Down Under. <laughs> That's amazing. 
Yeah, I thought for some reason that when I was younger, and I had to look it up when I when I saw it on the list because I was like, Rescuers Down Under, didn't that come out in like the 70s? Because the animation wasn't that good. This is like, I guess, one of Disney's like B-roll movies sort of thing. Yeah. But uh, when I was a kid, I thought it was like older, and then it came out in 1990. Well, Rescuers came out in 76, I believe, or 77. I looked it up I before. I don't remember that. exactly what day. But yeah, you're probably confusing the two movies a little bit. Maybe they don't want to separate the animation too much. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Well, I remember. I I don't I don't know the Rescuers, but I know the Rescuers Down Under well because I've seen that movie probably 50 times as a kid. I know that John Candy was the voice of the Albatross. This movie is starring Bob Newhart, Eva Gabor, John Candy, and Peter Firth. All right. And this one grossed what? $27.9 million, making a million more than Child's Play 2. All right. Coming in at number six, Predator 2. Uh, this one's with Danny Glover. This one's in L.A. It's like a dystopian future nonsense sort of thing. Also with my boy, Bill Paxton. And Gary Busey. So the Predator comes back to hunt again in L.A. In like war-torn L.A. And uh, Bill Paxton, his character is like one of those over-the-top Bill Paxtons. Is definitely not like a reserved actual actor Bill Paxton. He's like misogynistic and annoying and like... But it's still good. Bill Paxton's good no matter what. I remember loving this movie. Mainly because it's the Predator in a city. And to me, that was awesome. Like, you, you take what, what's awesome about the first one, which is the Predator, and he's in the jungle, and you change it up and you put him in a city. I mean, what's better than that? Okay, you said what's good about the first Predator is the Predator. What's good about the first Predator, to me, is the ensemble cast of men that go to defeat the Predator. All right, so then I misspoke because I love the Predator and everything that it's about. I just like that they didn't just try to recreate it in the jungles, basically what I was trying to say. And then yeah, they, they took moved, it and put they it into a city. This, they moved it to the city. That's fine. Danny Glover, I won't say Bill Paxton, but Danny Glover and Gary Busey are a far cry from Schwarzenegger and Carl Weathers and Jesse Ventura and can't remember the other two guys' names, but that movie, to me, as far as these types of movies go, Predator is probably my favorite. It's a 10 out of 10. This movie is maybe a 6 out of 10, but still a fun watch. Dylan, <laughs> you son of a bitch. What's the matter? CIA got you pushing too many pencils? I still don't know if that's grammatically correct. Oh, my goddamn si sexual tyrannosaur. <laughs> All right, coming in at... Oh, this one grossed $28.3 million. Not sure if we said that. Yes. All right, coming in at number five is Rocky Five. Ugh. Oh, yeah. I'm so happy this was not in the top three because this movie is awful. I've watched this movie maybe twice. Hey, yo, Tommy, I ain't hear no bell. That's the only line I remember <laughs> for that entire movie. I don't remember much. I remember watching basically what... He throws an uppercut and Tommy goes flying onto the roof of the car. Right? That's uh, how the movie ends. It's so bad. It's so bad. They took everything I loved about this series and and they bastardized it. It was brutal. They took all of Rocky's money away because Paulie's an idiot and now he's broke again and they're back on the streets of Philadelphia and he's trying to train Tommy Gunn, who was a real life fighter, ended up dying of AIDS, the guy. And it's just, it's stupid. Like Tommy Gunn leaves Rocky, then they end up fighting in the street and 
and there's a Don King-esque sort of character, and all of it was bad. Every last bit of it was bad. Stallone, he can't let anything go, which is now his MO still. He's got Rocky 10,000. You know, they, well, it's Creed and Creed 2 now. I don't care. It's uh, they, they were okay movies. I watched them just because I wanted to see what Michael they were B. about. Michael B. Jordan does an okay job. He's not bad. It's a he, decent he's, movie. He's got Rambo 6000. He's got The Expendables, which I tried to watch The Expendables on multiple occasions. The movie's unwatchable. It's okay. horrific. Well, that, that's what you talk about. Like You love to say how much you love ensemble casts, and that's where ensemble casts just go wrong because they're just yes. like, it's just a whole bunch of overage action stars trying to make an extra buck and there's nothing good about it. No, there, there's nothing good about it. So you, you're right that, you know, you can, you can take an amazing cast and ruin it. And, and Stallone's proved that, but also I'm not shitting on Stallone because I still want to give him his due credit because the man's made amazing movies. Rocky one and two are two of my all time favorite movies. So well, I do, did find some interesting facts about this movie and Sylvester Stallone. I'm sorry. I, I went on a tangent. That's and all right. A, and, and a and, rant. But it's a completely justified yep. tangent because this movie was a train wreck. Um, so in case you don't know, reluctantly retired from fighting, Rocky takes charge of Mickey's gym and agrees to train a young protege who's hungry for success. <laughs> in the end, though, uh, Sylvester Stallone was interviewed and asked to rate all of the Rocky movies out of 10. He gave Rocky Five a zero. Well, at least we, he was on board with me. And then he said, I made that movie out of nothing but greed. So oh. at least he admitted what this movie was about. It was about making a buck. Uh, that's admirable that he would admit such a thing. So, I mean, at least he took ownership of the fact that he made a trash movie. Yeah. So uh, that I found interesting. I also found interesting. So Tommy Gunn, like you said, was a real life boxer. So the guy that he was supposedly training to fight in the movie, they were set to fight in real life. They were both real boxers. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. So, like, the, the whole movie was supposed to be a lead-up to their fight. So, basically, like, a, a, an actual feature-length film promotion of their upcoming fight. Right. But except for they used, like, fake names in the movie. So, like, wasn't actually them, but it was them. So, it's weird. What was Tommy Gunn's real name? His Tommy something. Tommy Morrison. Yes. And he was... He really was a great fighter. And then he got sick and died of AIDS. So, yeah. he never got... Is, yeah, I don't think he ever won the title or anything. No, but end of the story was that they actually never wound up fighting because not Tommy Morrison, the other guy, got hurt during his training camp and mm -hmm. they had to scratch the fight. That's anticlimactic. Yeah, well, that's, I guess, real life for you. I guess. <laughs> All right, coming in at number four is Misery. This should be in the top three. America, you have done all of us a disservice by not getting this movie in the top three. You basically ruined our podcast. <laughs> That's it. I quit. That's it. It's over. We were going to go 10 years, but we're done after one. All right. So this one stars James Caan and Kathy Bates. So I'm going to do my best to not read and recall, because I've seen this movie a handful of times, uh, the plot. James Caan is a... I, he's a novelist, but I think the, the novels that Kathy Bates becomes obsessed with are more or less romance novels. And I believe the main character of the novel's name is Misery. And uh, so James Caan gets into a car wreck. He's like driving to take the final book of the series of books to like his publisher's office or what have you. Crashes his car in the snowy banks, like driving down like a mountainside or whatever. And Kathy Bates somehow finds him. They don't really show you how that happens to my recollection. Brings him in her house in like the middle of nowhere to nurse him back to health. She knows exactly who he is right. because 
He's she's obsessed. Yeah, she's obsessed with the books. Obsessed. Then the story progresses where like she reads the book the that that Khan's wants to put out and, and she's she, not happy about she's it. She's not happy about the way the ending goes down. Like it's like ruining her life. Like she's <laughs> completely distraught. So she won't let him go until he rewrites the book. And then you have the infamous yeah. scene where He's laying in the bed like he had broke his leg or whatever. And she puts a block like a four by four, like just above his ankles and smashes his two ankles with a sledgehammer. It was a brutal scene. Brutal scene. Really well shot. And then the whole thing is Khan trying to escape this woman that she keeps on feeding him these pills. And then he like wises up to the pills that like the pills are like making him sleepy or like loopy or whatever. So he stops taking the pills at one point and he's in a wheelchair. There's a really intense scene where like the, the clock is ticking where she's coming back and he's trying to find something like a phone or whatever to help him get out of the house. And to be completely honest with you, I really have zero recollection of how the movie ends. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen this, but um, really loved this movie when I did see it. I've seen it more than once. James Caan, uh, I'm not a huge James Caan fan, but I remember him doing an incredible job in this movie. Kathy Bates is great as always. And, you know, the two of them really had great chemistry in this movie. It really flows well. It's a great story. And yeah, this is a really reserved James Caan. Yeah. Is this a Stephen King novel? I'm almost certain it's a Stephen I'm King novel. I'm almost certain too. I, I really wish I would have looked in to see how Stephen Caan felt about it. Stephen King. He <laughs> says Stephen Caan. Okay. All right. So those listen, there were a couple of good ones in, in this top, you know, outside of the top three. Yeah. I mean, there was at least four movies that we've seen before, which I think that's the first time this has happened. Misery, Rocky Five, Predator 2, and that was it. I Child's Play 2. Oh, Child's Play 2. You're right. My apologies. All right. So coming in, and we should have seen Jacob's Ladder, so it should have been five. The fact that we haven't seen that movie yet is a little bit depressing. Yeah. Well, we could watch it tonight. All right. Let's do it. All right, so coming in at number three, we have a wonderful, wonderful film. This was the best movie of the entire month. If this you might ask be the me. best movie of the decade. Hold on. This is the best movie I've ever seen. All right, this is Three Men and a Little Lady. Everyone's favorite bachelors are back. And together with Mary and her mom, they're starting an all new adventure. Isn't they're one big happy family until... Ah, uh, Sylvia's no more milk. I'm getting married. Don't overreact. I can get some milk. Where are you going to live? London. Taking Mary with me. Now, these three men are off to England. What's that noise? I hate England. Look at this place. It's so huge. Not so splendid as your mighty erections, I imagine. They've come to stop a wedding. we got to stall the wedding till Peter gets back. And they'll do whatever it takes. Stop! What are you doing here? To keep their family together. I don't like the guy. Go to your room! He's not the right father for Mary. It's a high-speed adventure. Full of excitement. I'm in! I'm here! You come here just to stir up trouble. Go! Thrill. Hang on! And romance. Something I have to tell you. What? I'm impotent. Oh, I find that so charming in a man. It's three Americans. Learning the ways of the British. Do you like it here? It's wonderful, sir. But they're just the guys. I want a rap song. Kick it. To make old England marry again. Peter and Jack, will you ram it three? Dad's doing the marriage. <laughs> Touchstone Pictures presents Tom Selleck. What are you doing in my closet? Sometimes a man has to be alone. Sometimes he needs companionship. Steve Gutenberg. How do you think of leaking one of these things? 
<laughs> carefully. Very carefully. And Ted Danson. The actor. Hey! You're on! In the new comedy, Three Men and a Little Lady. Three Men and a Little Lady is grossing $72 million. All right. This movie was... It's nails on a chalkboard for your eyes. That's the only way that I could describe there it. There was nothing, nothing good about this movie. You know, I'm going to tell you the. Uh, all right, so here's the one thing that I will say about no, this movie. Don't you movie. dare say a good thing about this movie. The movie had a good heart, but it. But so it's an okay. Easy, fine. But it's an easy thing to say, right? Because it's about the welfare of this little girl. Right, but that's probably. I, I mean, I haven't seen the first movie in forever, but I'm assuming that's what the first movie is about. Yeah, of course. Three men and a baby. How could it be about anything else? Right. So, so that that whole that whole idea is established in the first movie. You can't just rely on that one piece of the good heartedness to make a movie. Fine. I'm just saying that if you if if I was in a torture chamber and you said say something good about three men and a little lady, it would be that the movie had a good heart. Fine. Doesn't okay. redeem anything As, that happened. Aside from that, every last thing that happened on screen was I don't know nausea inducing didn't make sense Wait, uh, there so, was no flow it was like i was watching seven different just like subsequent like episodes of crappy television yeah no that's what this i feel like this was a really shitty uh uh sitcom on like abc or something i, I want to go through some of the gags all right let's get the plot out first because the plot's really easy to get out so what happens is all right here we go so three men are raising a child with a woman and they all live in this one house how they got there, I, I forget. Well, I do know. The backstory is that yeah. they were three bachelors living together, right? They sharing this nice big apartment. Yeah. All right. One day, all of a sudden, there's a baby on their doorstep. Yeah. So now they have to take this baby in. They find out that um, Ted, Danson. Ted Danson's the father. Yeah. So they have to like watch the baby. They don't know where the mother is. It turns out she freaked out, had the baby, dropped it off on the doorstep, and then she comes back into their lives, and they all move in together now this one they have to take care of the baby they're all living in the same household together and uh the the woman sylvia is played by nancy travis uh she decides that she doesn't want to live this way anymore with two guys and the father of her child the biological father father of a child she wants to get married right she wants to take the next step in her life so then what happens is the guy she's going to marry he's a director she's only marrying him because she's in love with Tom Selleck's character Peter, but like he won't admit that he's in love with her, and it's just it's this whole back and forth Rachel and Ross nonsense that I don't really need to deal with. I see enough Tom Selleck in Friends. I don't need friends in my Tom Selleck. <laughs> he got your chocolate in my peanut butter. <laughs> All right, so yeah, so then the guy wants to move to London because he's a he's directing a play over there in London, and she's an actress. So they're going. They go. They take the girl and they go to London. The rest of the movie is these guys trying to get. Her to come back with the kid because they missed the kid. That's well, it. Do you know where the real good movie would be here? And they kind of touch on it for a second. So in the beginning of the movie, the little girl's in school. And the teacher's talking about the fact that it's three dads. That's weird. What are you talking about? The little kid says, you can't have three dads. That's illegal. Right. And like, so I think there's the real good story. Why not go that direction? Why not make that the the obstacle that has to be cleared in this movie. Why? Like you can have the romance too on the side. The romance shouldn't be the main part of this. Well, so the, the director I'm getting ahead of us here, but Emil Ardolino, 
This guy obviously had no idea what he was doing. So I want to go down. Be, this is what angered me. Like the gag jokes. It's gag joke on top of gag joke. Like almost as bad as uh, Ernest goes to jail with the gag jokes, right? So in like the beginning montage of what's going on, the one dad's wearing like hazmat gear to feed the baby for the first time because he's afraid of getting like spit up on or something. <laughs> then the baby's learning how to walk and Ted dancing has a godforsaken net that you would catch fishing when you're like fishing off like a little dinghy boat that like in case she falls, he's going to catch her in the net. Then the mom insists on cooking, but her quirky thing is that she burns everything, but yet she continues to cook every meal. She likes to. And her famous dish was, was liver. Duck liver. Like, why is that your famous dish? The one that really got to me, the one that really like, I, I was like, why is this a movie at this point? Was when she wanted a bedtime story or a bedtime song. Oh, the rap. And there's you have three middle-aged white men. So you have you have Tom Selleck, you have Ted Danson, and you have Steve Gutenberg. And one of them puts the alarm clock around their neck like Flavor Flav because it's 1990. They got the sunglasses on. They got the <laughs> denim jacket. And right? they yeah. got the hat turned to the that side. Sign. And I'm like... This is everything that could be everything that most, could be wrong with this movie. This is it summed up in this scene. And it's the most cringe worthy rap. Like they couldn't even make the words rhyme. It was <laughs> like at least make them rhyme. You got this, how, this these white guys. If these three men, if these three men don't look back on this scene and say how embarrassed they are to have ever done this. I, but that's the thing about people in Hollywood. I don't think they care as long as the paycheck's big enough. Well, if this was a paycheck, then God bless you because you somehow managed to get it into the top three. So I don't know. I, 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 I'm screaming on my notes. On my notes, I'm in all caps on my notes saying, how am I only halfway through this movie? You know, and I mean, I didn't think it was... Well, I, I honestly, I'm not going to lie. I spent a lot of time on my phone during this movie. <laughs> I, I tried how could you to not? focus. And I just couldn't. It was just nothing flowed. Like one second, like she's talking, like she's dating this, the director, you think, but you're not sure. Then all of a sudden him, her and Tom Selleck are having a moment and they kiss and you're like, oh, okay, they're going to get together. But wait, what about the director guy? She's not even talking about the director guy. But then all of a sudden, like he's not really in the movie, but then he is in the movie. And then she wants to marry him because she has nobody else to marry. And he's clearly like abusive to to the kid, to everybody but her, which is... Oh, so that was ridiculous. another part of the movie when he's like doing the the B like he's just like, oh, you're great at this and you're so good at this and you're great at that. And it's just like, yeah, but you couldn't say it any more with like like it being a secondhand compliment that like she would pick up on this. She would realize you're a douche. This this movie is offensive to the viewer. The, the people who put this movie on screen had no regard for the person that was viewing it. They thought that you were an idiot. And everyone that went to see this movie in 1990 in the theaters, I'm ashamed of you. And if you didn't demand your money back, he's even more ashamed of you. Right. Can we talk uh, about the end of this movie? Like the, when they're in London? What was the deal with the with him telling the woman that Tom Selleck liked her and like this turning into like this big, huge thing? Like, uh, like he, But I thought, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about. The woman's name is Fiona Shaw, I believe. Um, but she did a good job in her acting. But, that's but the fine. role was about, terrible. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, so she, he wanted her to basically, I guess, like keep him occupied. But like he was never interested in her in the slightest, so it's not going to occupy him. Then he has to sneak into her. Uh, so the whole thing is the the, the I, Edward, I, the director who's who the mom is marrying, he makes this plan to send the daughter 
a way to boarding school, but like is hiding it from the mom and tells her, oh no, that's not real. So Tom Selleck's got to break into the boarding school to find the papers. Well, this woman that we're talking about Fiona Shaw. is the headmistress of the boarding school. Yeah. So he breaks into her office to try and find the, the documentation that the girl is being sent to the boarding school and she catches him there. And, and he's like, hiding in the, the coat closet. And for some reason, like she just tries to mount him rather than being like, wait a minute, like this is strange. It's the middle of the night and you broke into a boarding school. Well, she was extremely lonely from the looks of things and then he runs out the when he run grabs the file sneaks the file and runs back out the window and then she says he's such a gentleman what a shame <laughs> i actually found that funny to be honest with you i actually like that scene because that that woman played the role that she was given it was a 10 out of 10 like she went she went nuts with it like she they did. gave her something wild but to do and she was wild in it nothing against the actress i just didn't understand that it the, was it was the it was, flow of it didn't it didn't fit That's oh i'm all. sorry after a, after the three middle-aged white men hip-hop scene this this seemed out of place to you well the at least that was supposed to be like look how good of a father look how good of fathers they are right you know what i mean like they work together to raise this child like i get what they were trying to do there it was bad it was cringeworthy there was but the, at least i understand the point of it all right let's hit the categories let's hit the categories please the director right. once again is emil artelino he died unfortunately november 20th 93 he was only 50 years old he did some decent movies he did dirty dancing and sister act he and he also did chances are chances are i've never seen but i i know the the, the cover of the movie and that also stars uh sybil shepherd robert downey jr and Mary Stuart Masterson. So yeah. I wanted to see that, and I, I will at some point. Well, this movie, he didn't know what the hell he was doing. So, Oh, that's a given. I I, I mean, to be honest with you, those Sister Act and Dirty Dancing, I'm, I might be in the minority here, but I'm not really a fan of Dirty Dancing. So, no. All right, uh, best scene? Best scene, I'm going to go with what I was talking about before, when the, the daughter starts to have to deal with the fact that having three fathers is not normal. Right, reality. Right, it, because I felt like there was actual depth in that scene, yeah. and then they just abandoned it. They abandoned it immediately. And and like I said before, and I'm sticking to this, that would have been a good movie. All right, my best scene is the scene that we were describing before when Selleck goes into the headmistress's office to try and steal the... It was ridiculous, but I, I guess I, I chuckled, so... It's a ridiculous comedy, so I fine. All right. Fine. Worst scene? Worst scene was the wedding scene. Nope, the rap scene. The rap scene, but it wasn't a full scene, so that's the only reason I didn't say that. It was definitely the worst thing in the movie. Okay. But I didn't, I didn't feel like it qualified itself as a scene. I was, I was astonished, enraged, saddened. I had so many negative emotions for the rap scene. Can I be honest? Yeah. I fast-forwarded. <laughs> I couldn't watch it. Dude, I sat there. <laughs> it was long. I sat there slack-jawed at what was going on. I was in disbelief. It was a solid, like, three-minute rap <laughs> It was so bad. All right, best role? Oh, hold on. I got to talk about more about oh. how bad the wedding scene was. I'm sorry. I apologize. Ted Danson clearly dressed up as an old oh. man, and which just nobody you know recognizes what the, You know him. what that Again. reminded me of? The makeup was nothing but trouble. Remember nothing but trouble? We're going to get to it with Aykroyd and Demi Moore and Chevy oh, Chase. Oh, yeah, yeah, And yeah. like how bad the prosthetics were. Like, yeah. it was terrible. Right, like, and this was supposed to be good. It's not like it was supposed to. It was like bad. He was supposed to be able to fool everybody, which he did. He didn't fool me, and he fooled everybody else. He definitely fooled me. I had no idea it was Ted Danson. (laughs) Spoiler alert: I knew it was Ted Danson. All right, Uh, best role, and how do I know this movie was terrible because of my best role selection? Is what? (laughs) Uh, Peter, played by Tom Selleck. (laughs) I I wrote Ted Danson honestly. Like I thought. All right, so here, so here's my real answer. My real answer is the little girl. 
because she's a little she's what is she six ish twins it's two girls okay no 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 you're wrong no you're wrong oh that was the three men and a baby yes this this one is robin weissman just one girl okay and she's maybe six, somewhere around there. Five. five. She's probably five. She was an actress. She was a little actress. She was a little kid. And she did her job. Therefore, she did the best by me. Okay. Second in line was dancing was kind of funny from time to time. And then the girl Fiona, the Fiona Shaw, who was the over-the-top headmistress, I right. thought she did a good job. Well, based on your praise for her throughout this podcast, I would say she's probably your best role. No, I, I have to give it to the little girl because I thought yeah. the little girl right, did a I, good job. I can live with that. Let's give the praise to the children. Worst and role? Worst role was, I don't know what his name was in the movie, but Steve Gert- Gutenberg's role. Because yeah. why is he screaming? He literally is yelling he play, every he plays, line. He plays Michael. He, Michael. Uh, he just yells. He said one funny thing. And, and he doesn't do it, anything. It's part of my most quotable lines. He has no role it. in this movie. He could have easily not been there. Right. Like th- He literally does nothing. No. He Whatever his like part of the trio was was minuscule. Was he like the nerd dad? Because he yeah, seemed like, like a nerd. He was this. He wasn't a cartoonist. He was a satirist. Whatever. Please. All right. So most quotable line. I only had one. Uh, I was talking about the scene before when Edward is hanging out with everyone and he's giving everyone these backhand bullshit comments, like compliments. I yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah. And Sylvia goes. I think we need drinks. And Peter, played by Tom Selleck, goes, we need shovels. <laughs> I just loved it. All right. So my most quotable line was uh, Ted Danson. When, when Sylvia's first telling everybody about how she wants to get married. So Ted Danson's, again, the biological father, father of the child. So he's going to Sylvia. He's saying, do you want to marry me? Do you want to sleep on it? Because she's like not responding. And then Gutenberg goes, she did that already. <laughs> <laughs> and that well, made me laugh there you go you just two minutes ago you said steven gutenberg didn't have a single funny line no i said he had one line oh, and that you? was it all right all right that's all i have for this movie same here all right moving on and coming in at number two grossing 184 million dollars dances with wolves Just hear that you've been decorated, and they sent you here to be posted? Actually, sir, I'm here at my own request. Why? I've always wanted to see the frontier. You want to see the frontier? Yes, sir. Before it's gone. There ain't nothing here, Lieutenant. Everybody's run off or got killed. What about Indians? this movie let's start with the actors starring kevin costner uh, as lieutenant dunbar uh mary mcdonald uh is stands with a fist she's the first wife in independence day uh mary chalkin is mr farnborough he plays Mr. Tipton in My Cousin Vinny. Then you have Graham Greene plays Kicking Bird, who's Joseph in Maverick. So the plot, um, Chris? Kevin Costner is a lieutenant in the Northern Army for the Civil War. Yep. Uh, he gets reassigned after being, I guess, you know, he, of- uh, he earns the right to choose his post right. because 
he he was a war hero when he was trying to commit suicide, basically. Yes. But he wound up winning them a battle that they were going to lose and whatever. Yes. So he gets reassigned. He chooses to be in on the frontier. He wants to see the American frontier before it's gone. Yes. Gets posted at this random abandoned outpost where he's the only one there and stumbles upon the Sioux tribe uh, Native Americans. So he befriends them. Uh, eventually marries a white woman who's a part of their tribe. Which I take issue with. I don't because of the way that they portrayed it. So it, it was fine for me. And uh, because of this, he makes enemies eventually of the U.S. Army. So that's that's the plot and point of the movie. This movie, I want to say this first. This movie won the Oscar for Best Picture, Best Director, and a total, including those two, of seven Oscars. I'm not going to dispute the fact of whether or not this movie is a good movie. This is a good movie. I don't know if I go as far as to say I would call it a great movie because we've seen things like this since. I think that if I was holding this in the context of 1990, I might agree with the fact that this is a great movie. But since I've seen what I've seen next, by way of example, The Revenant with DiCaprio. The Revenant does... I'm going to argue with you because I hate The Revenant. So the scenery, right? This is beautifully shot and all that stuff. I've seen beautifully shot done since this movie and maybe before it. I don't know. But I've seen beautifully shot done so many times. But the American landscape in this movie, with the little bit of landscape, even in 1990, they had as much. I mean, where did they get the planes from? Like, like do those still exist in America? I feel like yeah. all the planes are... The Midwest is a like it's a barren wasteland yeah. still. Is it? So anyway, I, I, that, that and I didn't find... The movie's a nice sentiment in the sense that all the other movies that came before, right? About Indians and the tribes and how the white men hunted the savage beast and all this. And this took that and flipped it on its ear and went the way of, we don't understand these people... They're connected to the earth in a way that we're not, and they're good people, and they just want to be left alone to do their thing. And here comes the you know, this movie fits in perfect in this century, in this decade, where the white man's the devil, right? Because the white man just wants to consume everything and destroy, and everybody else is beneath them, and all this. I'm fine with that being the plot of this movie. That's that's nice. But other than that, what is this movie? See, I thought it was a nice slow burn, right? I it, it clearly was it. It didn't need to be three hours long. That's yes. the first thing I'll say. Yes. But I, I didn't feel like three hours worth of movie. Uh, it, it moved a lot quicker than that. I wasn't I bored. Right. That's what I'm saying. I, so, I wasn't. I, was, I, I know I, you want to point. I just want to just preempt your point with saying I wasn't bored. And I don't think it's a bad movie. I don't. No, you could just respond after I say my piece rather than preempting what I'm saying. But I'm just saying I don't think this movie was deserving of seven Oscars. But go ahead. Maybe not. But you had great scenery. You had great uh, filmography. You had the the shots were amazing throughout this entire movie. What they did with the wolves was a a miracle. Singular wolf. Was it just one wolf? Yeah. But what they were able to do, I think multiple wolves played the one wolf. But whatever regardless what they were able to do to portray that wolf the things that they were able to get it to do remember that's still a wild animal it's not a tamed beast you know so i thought that was amazing the feeling that they they give you they give you this sense of like isolation that you need to experience to understand what dunbar's going through to understand why he's actually going to try and make contact with this native american people who you know he fears and i thought that that was a really good thing that they did in this movie was it wasn't just this quick transition of oh, you know what, like, maybe we were wrong. No, he starts off, he's scared of them, 
and it it doesn't happen from one scene to the next that all of a sudden he's accepting of them. He he has to experience them. He has to have an a dialogue Multi- with them. He has multiple to, interactions. Right, interactions. They're trying to learn each other's language. Right. There, there's this whole dynamic that has to be created, and I thought the way that they did it was phenomenal because, like I said, it, it wasn't just this quick flip of a switch. Oh, yep, yep, we got it. We're good to go. We're friends now. Well, no. to to your point, then let's bring in the character uh, stands with a fist, which is Mary McDonald, which is the the white woman that was taken in by this Indian tribe when she was a very little girl. I just <sighs> okay. So my point is, is that I didn't like this idea of this character either. But since you bring it up. Their language, they, they could never have had the dialogue or if they absolutely could have. Yes, 100% they could have. Wait, over could, years? No, there could have been, like, all you have to do to correct that dynamic is make one of the tr- Sioux tribe members, make him have or her have had an experience that led to them having to learn English. That's what they did. No, they, they took, they, they made it be, all right, cause, so here's my view on it. They made it a white woman who was taken in by the Sioux so that people wouldn't be offended by the fact that he ended up with an in, with a Native American woman. I didn't view That's it like a, that at 100% all. That's 100% what they were doing. I it's didn't 1990. View that at all. Interracial anything would be a problem, and that's why they did it. That's the way I see it. Okay. Well, you're and, listen, that's fine. I didn't see it that way at all. I saw it as, look, if we're going to get PC, right, which I'm not a PC person, but if we're going to get PC... I saw it as whitewashing. Okay, that's fine. You could say that it's whitewashing. Well, that's that's that too. Fine, but they they had a point with the character. It wasn't simply they didn't take a white woman and make her an Indian and whitewash it that way. There was a reason why she was white. I think that I didn't like the character. I didn't like the idea of the character, but at least it had purpose. But I think you could have found another way to establish that purpose. And also, on top of everything else, this is supposed to be a woman who hasn't spoken English since she's like, what, four or five years old? Yeah. And she says to her pseudo father, what's yeah, his name? Kicking Bird. Kicking Bird. She says, you know, I haven't spoken that language in a long time. She's saying this in the Sioux language, yeah. uh, which is, actually has a name and I have it written down. Give me a moment and we'll talk about that. Yeah. But all of a sudden, the, the now Kevin Costa comes in and, she wants it, and he wants her to speak to him and she just suddenly figures everything out and the way that she's able to like tell her tell him her name and he's so easily able to figure it out with those nonsense charades that were taking place like the whole movie did such a good job of this slow burn slow learn slow transition and then all of a sudden there's just snap of a finger and now here we have it there they're able to communicate and i didn't like that 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 was my one of my biggest issues with this movie I think after this point, though, like this is where the movie kind of loses it for me because at this point they're already cool with each other, right? They're they're accepting of each other, and I think that's fine. But I think the tribe way, way, way too quickly like takes them in, takes him in as one of their own too. That's not true. To my recollection, when he really became, he was accepted there and welcome to come in. But remember, they still he still wasn't a part of the tribe because he he rushed in when they were having some sort of sacred dance ritual, whatever they were doing at night around the fire. And oh, that's right. Yeah. They, he rushed in to tell them Don't that the, finger at me. the other tribe was coming and then they went to beat his ass. And in the middle of them beating him up, uh, kicking birds stopped them. So he could tell them that the other tribe was, no, coming. That's not, that was, that was the Buffalo. They were telling him. Oh, the sorry. You're right. So yeah, he went to tell him that he found the Buffalo, not the other tribe right. was coming. So then after they found the Buffalo and they hunted the Buffalo together, then he was like really a part of the tribe, which I took issue with the way they hunted the Buffalo because they must've murdered a few dozen Buffalo. What were they going to do with all that? They couldn't eat it. 
Well, they're feeding their entire tribe. It's there was like be- there was like fifty of them. You have two buffalo will feed you like yeah, the whole I, winter. I guess you're right. Like you make a good point there, but they need the skins for their. Your your head cannoning it because the point with the they made the they they made the point that the the white man butchered the buffalo and left them there only stealing their 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 pelts and then what did they do they went and murdered like thirty buffalo for what fifty people right well I I mean I think the tribe is supposed to be bigger than that I don't know but again like you said it's head cannoning and it does seem like they're killing way too many buffalo I I think that's a fair point all right anyway I didn't really have that's nitpicking but I I if you're gonna make the point that the white man murdered all these buffalo and stole their skins, and then you went and murdered like thirty buffalo. You just ruined your yeah. point. So I think that's when the tribe started to like really think of him as a friend, not necessarily part of the tribe yet. Although that's when Wind in His Hair, right? That's his name. Yeah, I think so. Wind in His Hair gives him the the chest piece. Yeah, they make the trade, the trade. Yeah. and then the other guy trades him the 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 knife for the the hat. The hat. And then so like he's really like starting to become part of the tribe. And then the part where he really becomes part of the tribe is when the Pawnee are coming to attack and he runs back to his camp and he finds the guns that he had hidden and he brings back the guns for the Sioux so that they can protect themselves because they're a peaceful people where the Pawnee are warriors. Uh, Moving on to the last scene is the last thing that I would like to talk about. Obviously, if you have anything else, feel free. But. I, it was so predictable when he left his diary at the, back at the camp. You knew what was going to happen when he went back to the camp, that the, the army was going to be waiting for him there. And, and honestly, what is getting your diary back going to do? It's going to slow the inevitable. Even if he went there, successfully got his diary back, they're already moving into the frontier. They had, Which he didn't know where that was. It wasn't in his diary. He'd never right. been there before. That's a fair point. So. No, 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 no. Because he had been back to write in his diary multiple times. But he didn't know where they were going. They never showed that he knew where they were going for the winter. True, but I think the assumption has to be that he did know and he shared that in his diary. But. It could have been better writing in because the, you knew soon as he said, oh, I forgot my diary as they're leaving to go to the winter camp. You knew that there was going to be a problem there. Like It was just predictable. Not that they didn't need it, it for was, the third act. Can but I tell you, it was so annoying that like it just so happens when he remembers to go get his diary that all the army is suddenly there. Like, that's the one moment. Yeah. Like, that annoyed me. Uh, anyway, I don't know. I th- Look, again, I'll, re- I'll recap with saying I thought it was a good movie. I don't know why it won seven Oscars. I really don't. I just, there's nothing there that would just, I guess maybe for 1990s, the only thing that I could think of is that. I think it lacks, but it, it look, lacks, it, it's more like, this is another movie where it's not so much like one story. It's like multiple stories, right? It's more like a because what was the ultimate ending of this movie was that him and her rode off together yeah. like they were like what was the climax they, yeah, they, they were there him and her rode off together and they, they said within 18 years i think it, 14 years i think it was something that the the white man demolished everything yeah so whatever the white man's the devil fine that's I don't fine care, though but, but, but it's true <laughs> fine but they also i'm not gonna get into politics and say sit here and say it was the times because 18 something or whatever where everybody murdered everybody but you i thought there was this huge climax coming like all right so i guess the climax of the movie was when he does get taken prisoner by the, the the army and they have to rescue him and i thought that was actually an awesome awesome scene all right so look the last thing i want to say is i thought about it right this thing won oscar for best picture in this in the same year that goodfellas came out how do you Wait, warrant that that as a decision did it definitely beat yeah Goodfellas, like, were they in the same? Was Goodfellas even up for the Academy Award for Best Picture? I don't think. I'm it was. not sure. Yeah, we'd have to look into that. 
All right, let's hit our categories quick. Director, Kevin Costner directed The Postman, and Open Range, and this movie, and he starred in all three. Once again, this this won Best Oscar for Best Picture, Best Director, and uh, five others, which I'm not sure. Uh, what was um, your best? Mary, Mary McDonald won Supporting Actress. That's a fucking kick in the balls. Mary McDonald won, but not, uh, what's her name for, for Karen Hill? Yeah, I don't remember her name. Okay. Either. All right, so this is the one thing I wanted to I wanted to share. So, this is a big mistake that they made. So, and they used university professors for this of linguistics. Yeah. So the language that they speak, that the Sioux spoke, is called L- L- Lakota or Lakata. I don't know how to pronounce it. But, right. So, but this is a gendered language, and this is what a lot of Native American like tribesmen came out and said about this movie. They were sitting in the theaters laughing because this language has two different, I guess, types of language, like. The dialect? Men's, no, it's not dialect, though, necessarily. I guess maybe it is dialect. But the men speak this way, and the women speak that way. Uh-huh. And they said that all of the people in the movie speaking this language were all speaking the women's dialect. So the men would never say the things that they said? Correct. So I just thought that was that was an interesting fact. Whether or not it ruins the movie is not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's it's funny that they missed this major point of this language. They They seem to go to great lengths to be able to put the movie in their native language and to have made that mistake seems. And then um, also, obviously there was a lot of criticism later on about this being a white savior movie. Like, so like, Oh, Kevin Goss, a big white man come saves the Sioux Indians and all that. Sorry, the Sioux native Americans. Um, But however, the Sioux were very, very happy with this movie because they were portrayed in what they felt was their tribes personality, their tribes, uh, Aura. I don't know how, to, how else to describe what it. What they did, the reality they, of who they were. Right. Back to the categories. Best scene? I loved every time there was a powwow. Yeah, I did like, like those. Every single time. Tatanka. Tatanka. <laughs> no, no, Tatanka. not even that one. When he wasn't even there, when it was just the Sioux, just showing how they had their discussion. How yeah, it was, yeah, now I understand what you mean. It was, yes. like, it was like politics, but like it was people had a voice, but they weren't rude about it. They were sharing their thoughts and everyone had the right to speak. And I especially like the one when they're first discussing, how are we going to approach Dunbar? What are we going right. to do to approach this man who's right. suddenly here? Yeah, no, that was good. Um, I think my best scene was the opening first couple of scenes where the way he's putting the, he's shot in the foot or what something happened to his foot, I guess shot in his lower, lower leg. And he's putting his boot back on and like you could see the agony and the bloods everywhere and all the other boots in the corner from when they were amputating to protect against the gangrene or whatever. And then the the scene right after that where he attempted suicide but ended up becoming a hero because of it helped him win the battle. So those two scenes were probably my best scenes because of the intensity that I didn't really feel. I did. Look, again, the movie was a good movie, but I I guess the most exciting parts of the movie weren't like major parts of the movie is that i guess that's kind of my point yeah it's like the 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 battle scene really it establishes that he gets to live and gets to choose his station that's it yeah right then you have the next exciting scene is the buffalo hunt but i mean that does nothing there was no danger there right then the next exciting is the battle with the and uh, the pawnee but again like it really only one person on their side died the old man so you didn't really feel much danger there either yeah all right worst scene Worst scene has to be, has to be when he first arrives at his assignment. Yeah. The camp and he's speaking to the major and he's requesting to be on that outpost. And the major, I just don't know what the point of this major was, who was losing his mind. He was a lunatic. Right. But why? Like, is it because of the isolation? But there were tons of people around. I don't know what they were trying to, then he kills himself and they just ignore the fact that this guy just shot himself in the head. I love that guy. 
Right. Okay, fine, but I, that I don't know why. But he was a maniac. It made no sense. They did not do He's anything a, for the movie. What him was shooting the, himself in the head did nothing for that, the movie. It's, it was eighteen sixty three. I wrote the date down. He's a he's a some sort of captain or general or whatever he he's might be. He's a major. Be. A major, sorry, in the Civil War, and he's lost his mind. It doesn't seem that far-fetched to me. His, his, all right, so moving I'm on. I'm not saying it's far-fetched. I'm saying what purpose did it None, serve? None, but I enjoyed it. Unless, and I, I'm really headcanoning here, was him killing himself. Now, he was the only person who knew where Kevin Costner was going into that outpost, which is why no men were ever sent there afterwards. Ah. I think I just figured it out. Right, there you go. Good job. <laughs> All right, uh, so brings us into most quotable lines. So I have two. I'll start with uh, the uh, Maury Chalkin, uh, who's Major Farnborough. Uh, he, he yells to Costner after he tells him what his post is. Sir Knight, I've just pissed my pants, and nobody can do anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy was great, though. Uh, that was good. Um, quotable line? I think you said it already. What is it? Tatanka. Uh, to talk. Uh, I loved it. I loved him crawling on the ground trying to tell. But <laughs> do you know that that was the only part of the entire movie that I remembered going into this watch? <laughs> well, it's a good part of the movie. All right. Then my other one was um, when he's on his way to his post, Costner, when he's like um, narrating that he's writing in his journal. He said, the strangeness of this life cannot be measured. In trying to produce my own death, I was elevated to the status of a living hero. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, though. I hated the narration when he was writing in his book. His I don't like I don't so, like Kevin Costner. I, do, I I thought I did. I really really did. And then I rewatched this movie. He's so monotone. Monotone and he, there's he's I don't like the tone of his voice. I don't I, I don't dislike the tone of his voice. I just like it's too calm. That's uh, not liking the tone of his voice is clearly a a, a subjective opinion, but I just I don't like it. Yeah. So, it all right, best role Best role I said was actually Floyd Redgrove Westerman as Ten Bears. So oh, he was like the chief the man, the old man, and he was impo- he was always imparting all his wisdom. And I just loved, like I said, I loved every scene when they were having powwows, when when he was in giving his wisdom and his thoughts on everything and making his decisions. And he was very firm and assertive and knew what he wanted to say and how things were going to be done. And there was that was it. And I just I really enjoyed watching the dynamic of the tribe. I thought it was Costner because the movie isn't the movie without Costner or Graham Greene, who was Kicking Bird. Um, Graham Greene's phenomenal as well. So, Graham, Look, I've seen a few. Graham, Graham Greene's made appearances in a few movies that I, I, I've um, seen, and I like him every time he's on screen. And he always plays an Indian or a Native American is the PC thing to call him. So, I, I mean, I just like him as his character. I like that they had the one scene like with the different cultures. Like, so... It was a really awkward scene, though. It was like a sex scene. They're having sex, and it's like, oh, there's all these people around, and obviously Kevin Costner was like thrown off by that. I wish they would have had more of that because I feel like the cultural differences between a, yeah, a, they a Western too, white man and the Native American Sioux. He settled way too easy, easily into their... Yeah, I think more could have been done in the sense of just showing the differences and the, the not understanding why they do things the way they do them. So what you're saying is you wanted more sex scenes. No, less sex scenes and more <laughs> cultural differences that didn't involve sex. All right. Worst role, I have Mary McDonald. I had Kevin Costner because of his narration. I just could, I could not get past the narration. It pissed I, me I, off. I, I hated it. I don't like Costner as an actor, so I'm okay with that. All right. That was Dances with, Dances with Wolves. And we are finally 
On to number one. Numero uno. This should have won the Academy Award for Best Picture. Why not? I'm on board with that. Coming in at number one, grossing an absurd, ridiculous $285 million. And that's just box office. Home Alone. When the McAllister family left on their Christmas vacation... Did we miss the flight? No, you just made it. Yeah! They forgot one small thing. Have yourself... I have a terrible feeling. Did you lock up? Yeah. Do we set the timers on the lights? Mm-hmm. What else could we be forgetting? Our troubles will be ours. Kevin! Ah! Home Alone. Police in the northern suburbs are on the lookout for a pair of burglars who are calling themselves the Wet Bandits. We know that you're in there. It's Santa Claus and his elf. Get off my property. This is my house. I have to defend it. Where's your mother? My mom's in the car. Where's your father? He's at work. What about your brothers and sisters? I'm an only child. Where do you live? Can't tell you that. Why not? Because you're a stranger. He's a kid. I mean, what can a kid do to us? Kids are stupid. I know I was. You still are, Marv. This is it. Ow! I don't care if I have to get out on your runway and hitchhike. I am going to get home to my son. Why do you dress like a chicken? Gus Polinski, Polka King of the Midwest. If you have to get to Chicago, we'll gladly drive you. Hey, guys. Yesterday, he was just a kid. But tonight, he's a home security system. You guys give up or you're thirsty for more? From John Hughes. You know, I got a feeling this is going to be your best Christmas ever. A family comedy without the family. Home alone. Are you here all alone? I'm eight years old. You think I'd be here alone? I don't think so. Directed by Chris Columbus, coming November 16th. All right, so... Does does it get better than Home Alone? How could it get better than Home Alone? Anybody who says they've never seen this movie, I immediately don't want to talk to you. Do you know someone who hasn't seen this? I don't know anyone. I don't think I could possibly like live in the same plane of existence as someone who's never seen this movie. Okay, so do you know... Obviously, this is a Christmas movie, right? And if anybody's going to have this discussion with me, I'm going to not have the the conversation with you. It's a Christmas movie, and that's the bottom Someone says it's not a Christmas movie? Who says it's not a Christmas... Hold on. You want to get upset? Go online and read the ridiculousness that is out there about Home Alone. 100% a Christmas movie. Okay. It is entirely set around it's Christmas. Not, it's not. No, this is not a discussion. Well, it's I a need, Christmas movie. If you don't think this is a Christmas movie, I hate you. <laughs> All right. So I watch this movie every year with my family at least four, five, six, seven, ten it's times. It's always on in the background. I'm turning it on. If it's on TV, I'm turning it on. If Now it's on Disney Plus, and I just turn it on. I, I watch it the other day. Not even for this podcast, just because I saw Home Alone. Right. Why wouldn't you watch it? It's a great movie. All right. So the plot of the movie is uh, Kevin gets left alone in his house because a few things happen. But the pro- the point is, I guess, the parents went on vacation to Paris. He, with reason, was left behind. 
The, there's burglars that come who are played by Joe Pesci oh. and Daniel Stern. And they're robbing the whole block because they're all the entire block's away on vacation for Christmas and because they're all rich. Yeah. And it's a perfect target for them to go and rob all these houses. So Kevin has to defend his home against the uh the would be robbers. This is my home. I will defend it. And then also he uh he ha- he in the meantime he learns the true meaning of Christmas. All right, so it's it's a lovely, lovely film. I just wanted to get the plot out there as succinctly as possible, so then I could go on and talk about the movie. Yeah, I don't even think we need to talk about the actual movie because I'm assuming we've all watched this movie every single year. Even, I don't care if you're not even a if you don't even celebrate Christmas, you probably watch this movie because it's that good. All right, so here's here's what I want to start with. Aside from the movie itself and the scenes, I want to start with the two men that created this movie. And what is God bless their souls because I know this movie almost didn't get made. Yeah. So what what's owed to these two men as far as the late '80s and early '90s, the mid to late '80s and early to mid '90s? Some of my favorite movies, and I'm sure a lot of people's favorite movies, are directly attributed to these two men. The two men are John Hughes and Chris Columbus. So John Hughes wrote this movie. Chris Columbus directed this movie. So I'm going to give you. They're writing and directing credits. We'll if start- you don't know who John Hughes and Chris Columbus are, I mean... Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't be a fan of the 90s. All right, so Chris Columbus uh, directed Adventures in Babysitting was 87, Home Alone in 90, Only the Lonely, which is a good underrated John Candy movie in 91, Home Alone in 92, Mrs. Doubtfire, which is top 10 90, 90s movies in Home 93. Alone 2 in 92. Yo, did I not say that? You said Home Alone in 92. I apologize. Home Alone 2 in 92. Mrs. Doubtfire in 93. Harry Potter Part 1 in 2001. Harry Potter 2 in 2002. A bunch of other movies. The last one worth noting was Pixels with... um. You just watched that the other night. I did We just watch that the other night with Adam Sandler in 2015. He also, Chris Columbus, wrote Gremlins and co-wrote Goonies with Spielberg. Two of his <sighs> biggest writing credits. Now... On the other side, John Hughes directed 16 Candles, Breakfast Club, Weird Science, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, and Uncle Buck. He wrote Mr. Mom, Vacation, 16 Candles, Breakfast Club, European Vacation, Weird Science, Pretty in Pink, Ferris, Some Kind of Wonderful, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Great Outdoors, Christmas Vacation, Home Alone, Dutch, and Dennis the Menace. Dennis the Menace, the movie in, I think it was 93, which is I love a that very movie. good movie. Yeah. So these two men are directly responsible for all of those movies. So I just want to say, if uh, John Hughes passed away, if Chris Columbus ever hears this, Thank you for everything you've done. <laughs> I, and it's also important to note, though, too, is that, like, think about the snowball effect that these guys had because, like, John Hughes, he's notorious for he found someone that, that he liked that fit a role, and he would use and use and reuse those people over and over again. That's how the, that's how the Brat Pack formed was because John Hughes sold these yeah. these teenagers had these this special ability. Well, how did Home Alone come into being? Well, Macaulay Culkin was an Uncle Buck, yep. and John Hughes saw his what Macaulay Culkin had and he yeah. had had this idea for this movie and Macaulay Culkin is what ultimately led John Hughes to put this movie together and finally understand where the direction was, how this child was going to behave and who was going to act in that role. Yeah, the, he was he wrote the movie but only wanted Macaulay Culkin for right. it. But he and he from if I remember incorrectly, he re, he rewrote a lot of the movie to fit 
what Macaulay Culkin was as an actor. Well, they yeah, they, well him and him and you him and uh, Chris Columbus, which John Hughes was notorious for not wanting any uh, rewrites on his scripts, but him and Chris Columbus went back and forth with some changes. Uh, so I'm going to give you some other notes and then feel free to chime in outside of the scenes of the movie. Uh, so this was shot at New Trier High School in Chicago. It's amazing, too, because they revamped this entire high school to be the inside of a house. Well, so there's the, the Over gym. Over the swimming pool. The gym and the swimming pool. Yeah. All right, so uh, New Trier High School, they shot Ferris Bueller's Day Off there and some of the scenes from Uncle Buck are there as well. Um, this school was abandoned at the time. I guess they like ran out of kids or whatever, so they turned <laughs> it into like a back lot. How, how do you run out of kids? I don't know. But... Um, so they turned the so the the exterior of the house is in this Chicago suburb. It's the, a real house. Yes, the interior of the house they built a set right. inside the gymnasium. When they shot the flood scene towards the end of the movie, that was shot. They built the set in the drained swimming pool. Oh, okay. So it was so just the, the one scene in the other people's houses. So the water had some place to drain. Okay. Uh, the house interior was uh, built in a gym, which I just said. Uh, everything in the house was red or green. So if you notice, like yep, yep. almost every single scene has something red or green in it. Because it's a Christmas movie. Yeah. Uh, Pesci made the, um, when he does the rest and fresh. And fresh yeah, because he couldn't stop cursing on set. So they were like, this is a kid's movie. You have to stop doing it. He's like, I can't. Yeah. They're like, they just mumble. Yeah, just so, mumble. So he did. So he <laughs> made that language up because he said he didn't know how to do a movie without cursing. <laughs> I mean, he's coming right off of Goodfellas. I think he went straight from filming Goodfellas to filming this. I mean, how, could you have like two more similar roles, but like so much different in yeah, the way you're portraying one's, them? One's, <laughs> one's, one's like it through a child's eyes and one is like a real life mobster, murderer. But like it's like the same bad people. <laughs> so then I also read too that Pesci... When he got a script that wasn't Scorsese's, he said the only way he could read it is if he threw in the word fuck like every fifth <laughs> word. All right. So um, Candy, uh, his uh, one cameo in the movie as the oh, God, the Polka King. The Polka King of, of Ohio. No. Chicago. Chicago yeah. yeah. He made less than the, the guy who played the pizza boy. So he made like scale or whatever it was. Ooh. He did it as a favor to John Hughes. That's nice. And John Hughes had him on set. He only had him for one day. They kept Candy on set for 23 hours. <laughs> um, John Williams came in like after the movie was done being film shot. Uh, they sent, they were like struggling with the score. Oh, that's right. They, I saw this. They sent it to John Williams on like a prayer that like maybe he would do the score. He loved the movie and they said that it completely changed the feel of the movie after John Williams did the score. And then lastly, 280 months. It's not an original score, though. Like, yeah. Is it, though? Because it's, it's, is that music not Christmas? John Williams? Or is it just, it. or is it just, it's that, iconic. It's just so iconic now that I, well, you were, right. I, you I were five, five years old. So, so I just visualized that song as being a Christmas song. Yeah. You thought that song John, was, that John song Williams was made, made like in like the 20s, but really John made, John, uh, John Williams made it in 1990. <laughs> That's fantastic. I'm so happy to have learned that. All right, so then lastly, uh, $285 million in the box office. So then, then here's something I want to say. Here's the old man in me, right? Think about movies nowadays, how much content comes out between Prime and Netflix and theater productions and all right. that stuff, right? This movie was in the theaters for almost a half a year. So here's the stat. November, People were going to see this movie in February and March. In June. In June. So November of 1990. And it was more than half a year. No, November of 1990 to June of 91. It was about a half a year that this thing was in, That's in theaters. That's eight months. Well, whatever. Then my math is off. My point is it was in the theaters for forever. And 
it was number one for 12 weeks. Now with all the content that comes out, unless it's like a Marvel movie, it's virtually impossible to pay this much attention to one thing. I don't think that we'll ever see things like this again that aren't huge titles like Star Wars or Marvel or whatever. I'm trying right now to think of like it's what hard. Was, it's hard with the Rona to like really pinpoint a movie that came out that had that much success. But besides Endgame, I can't think of anything that had that Star type of success. Wars or, or Marvel. That's it. Think of any movie that any movie that that is culture changing. That's not but, Star Wars or Marvel. It's gonna happen again, but I think less, way less often than you saw in the nineties. Saw in the eighties, nineties, nineties, and eighties. I'm 90s. saying, but like the eighties and nineties, that that this is when this was happening, where things would be. I mean, it, when you get to ninety nine, that's probably like the last year of movies in the box office for like extended periods of time. That I'm actually ninety seven. I'm thinking of Titanic. That's probably the last movie that. Oh no, Avatar. Sorry. That's fine. No, it's fine to have the conversation, but I'm just saying that things like this. Don't really happen. No, like you're right. They anyway. don't really happen. It will happen. I don't know. I just I just feel nostalgic for those things that like so think of Macaulay right. Culkin's hands on his face, the ah <sighs> that was that was like a thing back then. Like before memes, that was like a real life meme people would do to each other, you know? I mean, this movie is nothing short of pure genius. And I can't believe like it really was almost not made. Do you have any notes on like that? Because I, I can't Yeah, remember. so what happened was the budget, they started out with a budget of about $10 million. I forget the studios. I think it went from Warner Brothers to Fox. That could be completely Oh, that's wrong. right. No, no, no. But that's what happened. Was so what happened. went through like three different movie studios, no, right? No, two. It was two? Okay. So what happened was they went, the budget went up to 14.7 and the first studio would only give them 13.5. And uh, uh, Hughes was convinced that they would send them like Yo, the shots, the dailies or whatever, and, and then Warner Brothers or whoever it was, I believe it was Warner Brothers, would just like pony up for the other $1.2 million. They were adamant that they wouldn't do it. So they shut down filming. But Hughes had the other company lined up, which you're not supposed to do legally. And he had the other company lined up. So the instant that they were shut down on the first production company, the second production company was immediately, like like seconds, ready to go. <laughs> so, they, so they were shut down by the first, and then they were... And that's right, right and back in action and on I the think, second. I'm, I'm thinking of that Netflix series. They uh, did this whole thing. Yeah, on. the movies that made us. That's where most of my information yeah. come, came from. If Full disclosure, go watch that. It's amazing. Oh, it's so good because they do that. The Ghostbusters one was really good too. And uh, Die Hard. I didn't watch the Die Hard one. I remember them saying like they, they went around knocking on all the doors, like telling everyone, that's it. We're done. We're shut down. And then everyone's like, and then all of a sudden, not, not two hours later, we're getting a phone call. Get back in here. We're <laughs> ready to go again. Yep. All right, let's talk about some scenes quickly. The I, my, One of my favorite scenes is the family chaos in the beginning. Oh, so good. Them like run. Oh, are you talking about the beginning or are you talking about when they're leaving for the... Plane? No, no, the family chaos before they realize they're late for their flight. So I like the montage of them trying to get to the... That plane. was good too, but I like Pesci being there and the pizza guy standing <laughs> next to Pesci. Pesci can't find somebody's parents that actually live in the house and... Then the pizza with Buzz and gets Kevin sent upstairs. And that's the reason why Kevin oversleeps and the family sleeps in because there was a power outage and it reset the alarm clock. So they were scrambling and to get out. Right there, you have a movie that would never happen today because power outage would not stop with your alarm clock. Your phone would yep. still go off. Yeah. All right, whatever. But I, <laughs> neither here nor there. Um, next favorite scene. Do you have a big one? Um, I mean, the entire defending of his house. But I, I love the sledding scene. 
Uh, yes. <laughs> Sledding down the stairs. It's not even a long scene, but I love it because who wouldn't do that? I mean, we, we just did nonsense it's like so that. Do you remember being in grandma's? Uh, yeah, sliding slide down. On like pillowcases? Yes. Like, like as if that wouldn't hurt, but <laughs> yeah. doing it anyway? I think Yuz was able to see. This is why I don't really, because everybody's seen the movie. So you want to, nobody wants to sit here and listen to us talk about the scenes of the movie. But what I do want to say is, you John uses ability to portray the the thoughts and feelings of, of childhood of children, teenagers, children, whatever it may be, is maybe set unparalleled. Right, because it brings you back to that feeling. Like it's, think that's about, what makes this movie amazing. Think about Breakfast Club for just a second. The the angst, the constant uh I guess feeling pressure and uncertain of yourself because you're still a child and how he's able to express that in that movie. I don't remember ever seeing a movie give teenagers such um depth. Yeah, and like their their faculties and make and, them a person instead of right. like a thing. Right. And and honoring their feelings rather than dismissing them. Belittling them or making them yeah. just like horny kids or something. And, and the same thing with can be said about Home Alone, which is what I assume is your connection. Yeah. And I think that uh you know what he does with with Kevin where he seems to be the youngest of all the kids In and his he's family. and he's constantly getting shit on and he's had enough. And is he is he a little bit of a dick Kevin? Yes, of in course, the beginning. But, but that's a kid. Yeah, but he's trying to in a family of I don't know, they have seven kids, five or seven kids or whatever they have, and in a family of that many children and you're the smallest and you're constantly screaming to have your voice heard and you might end up being a little bit of a dick sometimes. Especially when you're what the French call les incompetents. <laughs> <laughs> who are such a disease. <laughs> right. I wouldn't let you sleep in my room if you were growing on my ass. Buzz also underrated character. <laughs> Buzz's girlfriend. Woof. <laughs> Did no you know? Did you know? That was actually not a girl. Yeah, that was somebody's was son the, in it was, drag. It was, right? who, who, Chris, the, it was Chris his, Columbus's son in drag. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, no clothes on anybody. Sickening. <laughs> All right, let's just do, do best. French girls shave their pits. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's just do our favorite scenes and our worst scenes. I just gave you my favorite scene. Is the, is the everything that just evokes that childhood feeling? The sled, the the making the ice cream, and I'm and, eating I'm eating trash and watching rubbish. Yeah, watching watching movies you're not supposed to watch, and then ordering the pizza, but being afraid of ordering the pizza because you don't know who's going to deliver it. Being scared of the furnace in the basement. All those things, just like th- those are my favorite. It's not a scene, but those are my favorite parts right. of this movie. Right, right. I don't know. I love the entire movie. I don't think it's. I don't think it strikes a sour note, and there's not a point in it that I feel bored. And I've seen this movie, it, literally countless times. We all have, and so. it doesn't get old. I think that's timeless. It, yeah, that is that it is timeless. It's, it's just I never like you. Said, I never get bored of watching this movie. You would think like there are there are Christmas movies like A Christmas Story. Okay, it's a good it's a good Christmas movie, uh, right? But we'll I get have a fight. I, I will maybe we'll have a fight. But I get sick of that movie. Um, yeah, know, I guess maybe more that I get sick of that more than I do Home Alone. That's what I'm saying. Like, I I can't I can't rewatch that. Like, I know they do the 24 hour marathon. I ain't watching it more than once. Yeah, no, you're right. Home Alone. It, I'm watching that more than once every time Christmas rolls around. Yeah, you're right. It's timeless, and that's a t- that's a tough thing to do. So, uh, I, do you have a worse scene? I'm trying to. Rack you would my have brain. to reach right. Yeah, to have it, a worse it would scene? definitely be a reach. Um. Where? No, where? Because the whole you, say? you need every piece of this movie. It's all good. Maybe the maybe maybe the shopping scene. I, 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 no, I love that scene. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> well, also, we left out John Candy. 
when he's oh, going through. Well, no, when he's going through the uh, polka polka, he's trying to get <laughs> her. To, us, right? Yeah, trying to get her to realize who he is. <laughs> it's like nobody listens to polka. Best role? Who do you think? Who's your favorite character in the movie? Then I mean, like I said, if it's let's let's say if, that it's if, not Kevin. All right, so it's, it can't be Kevin. Yes, but obviously it is Kevin. But it can't be Kevin. Fine. So then my favorite role is obviously Joe Pesci. Just just that. Like, I don't even need him to say anything else. I'm going way obscure. I'm saying Buzz. I love Buzz. <laughs> you do love Buzz. You talk about Buzz, even when it's not Christmas time. All right. So, all right. Uh, worst role, I don't have one. I don't know. Maybe I would say the uncle, but he does a great job at being <laughs> a huge asshole. Yeah. So I can't F- say him. Maybe Fuller. You know, that's his <laughs> little brother in real life, right? Oh, that's which one, Rory or no? Uh, who's the other one? I don't know, but yeah. that one doesn't matter. <laughs> the, the not Rory one. <laughs> you want to do some quotable lines? I mean, we did some before, but do you want to do more? I mean, I got so many. Now I'm not gonna be able to think of them right now because they he's, just popping. He's out. like, I love when Pesci's like, you know, you one of the great cat burglars, Mob. Do you think you could keep it down in there? <laughs> he's like, you did it again, didn't you? There's something wrong with you. He's like, he's like, you're sick. You're really sick. You know that? It's our calling card. <laughs> <laughs> we're the wet bandits that's a great line look what you did you little, little jerk. jerk yeah um i'd also love keep the change you filthy animal because <laughs> like, we didn't even talk about the fact that that's not a real movie they yeah, made that yeah, scene yeah. for the movie i wish that was a real movie i would love to watch it <laughs> what's the name of it again angels with filthy yeah, souls yeah. i don't know i think i we... forgive you but my tommy gun don't oh that's the second one <laughs> No, yeah that first, is the second, the second one, one. Yeah. no the first one is i'm gonna give you the count of 10 to get your lousy yellow no good keys they're off my property and then he goes one two ten <laughs> all right look i think we did it justice i think we did a good job i don't want to kill it That's no i it. don't want to kill it yeah, either so i'm gonna so leave good. it at that all right if this you, movie's this is it's a timeless classic i will christmas be watching movie. this movie around christmas time when i'm 95 years old if i make it that long every year every year yep and my kids love it too so all right, this was definitely a fun month. Had a great time. This was a good month for movies. Yeah, it really was. And, you know, it's like I don't understand why you have these barren wastelands of months during the year. Why not spread the love? Like, I don't I know. understand why. I, that doesn't make sense to me either. In I, a month where, where Ernest goes to jail is in the top three, why wouldn't you save a movie like Misery and put it out then? Because I do know that there's something about, and I don't know a lot about it, but there's something about putting the movies right out before uh, Oscar time. So like, so that they're relevant because I, I think fresh in the memory, yeah, right? like relevance is like a huge part of winning Oscars. So you don't want to release a movie in January when it's not going to be considered until the following. December. But a movie like, I don't know. I mean, some movies are not Oscar bait as they say. So if it's a good movie and you don't think it's Oscar worthy, but I mean, like Misery, I suppose you would say Kathy Bates or James Caan could be nominated for Best Actor or Supporting Actress or what have you. So, yeah. Well, regardless, I had an awesome time. I'm so happy we're out of the quarantine. Yeah. Well, it's nice to be back face to face. It definitely makes a difference in the feeling of of when we're having a good time. So. All right, what do we have coming up next month? We have December of 1990, and in December we have. Some decent movies. Uh, we have Edward Scissorhands. All right. Johnny Depp, Winona Ryder for you. Awakenings, which to the best of my recollection is a Mel Gibson movie. I feel like they just remade that movie. We have Kindergarten Cop. Woohoo! We have The Godfather Part 3. You're reading off all these movies. We're only doing three. 
Well, so the top three is Godfather Part Three, Kindergarten Cop, and Edward Scissorhands, I believe. Uh, but also Hamlet is definitely a Mel Gibson that's movie. That's Mel Gibson movie. But yeah. that's a limited release. But we're gonna go over it anyway because it's a Mel Gibson movie, and how dare we not? So <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Godfather Three is gonna be. I haven't seen the Godfather Three in probably ten years, so it'll be an interesting watch. I, I should know, probably watch Godfather Part 2 before I uh, watch You're going to watch Godfather Part, Part 2 with me, <laughs> and then you're going to watch Godfather Part 3 either with me or on your own. Um, and then you're going to watch Sofia Coppola's performance in Godfather Part 3 and wonder how the hell she ever made it on screen, well, aside from the fact that Francis she's a Coppola. Yes. Uh, kin. And then Andy Garcia. Andy Garcia's role in Godfather Part 3 is so bad. You hate Andy Garcia. I don't. I just don't appreciate. It. I don't hate him. I just don't like his movies in general. <laughs> so, all right, that was it. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. Please also uh, like, subscribe, follow, whatever it is that you do. Also, we we would love some feedback. If you got anything to say about us, please hit us up at be kind. Please rewind ninety at gmail dot com. I'm waiting for our first hater. <laughs> <laughs> like I feel like we haven't we're not we're not getting enough listeners until somebody hates us. So if you hate us, please let us know. All right, thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you next time for December of 1990.